0: In this episode of Ask Pore we are going to talk about using birch polypore as a strop, the importance of reading the weather, what trees and plants should you learn, what my favorite wild edibles are, and what do you need to do if you have to make running repairs on your axe while out in the field. <clears throat> Welcome, welcome to episode 61 of Ask Paul Kirtley, and we are into the 60s properly, which is great. It's cold today, it's frosty, I'm out, I've got my coffee, my warm coffee while I'm sitting here. I do have a duvet jacket in my bag if I need to put that on, but I'm feeling quite cosy at the moment. got a nice merino wool base layer on, I've got a buffalo special six shirt on over the top of that and then i've got um, my Narona recon the old style one on top of that and i've got this lovely new uh thicker loop stitch woven merino hat that i bought in canada when i was there in september it was way too warm then and um, when i was there it was high 20s 30 degrees Celsius I did that trip on the French River if you haven't seen the video on my blog and the and the blog post around it check that out because it's uh, it was a lovely trip and I'm sure if you're interested in that style of journeying you will learn something from that even little tidbits and I've got those new campfire notes section in that journey uh, blog as well so I'm going to try and do that when I do blogs of journeys I'm going to try and draw out what I did around the campfire even if it's just how did I light the fire that day it might be the same every day it might be different but it gives you an insight into how I'm applying my bushcraft skills on a day-to-day basis even in the most benign ways Um, things that I might not consider to explain to people or even to relate to people I've had a few questions on that or quite a few questions over the last year or two and I came up with this idea of adding those in so check that out um, the 18 mile island loop on my blog see what you think there. Um, But anyway it's a lot cooler now than it was back a few months ago when I did that trip and I haven't done an Aspore Curtly for a little while. I've been very busy with um, various projects and um, while I have been out and about I just haven't had the chance to sit down and record any of these. Um, To be honest I hadn't had the chance even to sit down and look through all the questions in the question bank until yesterday and I have sorted some out for this episode and queued some up for episode 62 and 63 going forwards as well. So I've got a bit more organised, got a little bit more time now towards the end of the year and I can can get through those questions for you. Okay, well let's jump in. First one. Um, there are two very, very similar questions. This is one of the benefits of waiting a little while uh, to, uh, to look at the questions. You start to see that there are some that are similar, and I can answer both of them for you um, at the same time. So the first one is from Under Broadleaf Adventures. And nice photo of a birch polypore there, Piptoporus betulinus is the Latin name for that fungus, it's a bracket fungus which grows on birch. And the question is, hi Paul, I know there are a number of uses of birch polypore, Piptoporus betulinus but at this time i'm particularly interested to know how you would go about processing it into a strop for example does it need drying out first what part of the fungus becomes the strop would you glue it to a piece of wood etc many thanks and thank you for all the free information you're putting out p.s i'm loving the paul kirtley podcast all the best nick piers well thanks nick i'm glad you appreciate both ask paul kirtley and the paul kirtley podcast um the other very similar question that I got, Nick, um, was from Andy, similar question, hi Paul, and this is by email, hi Paul, hope you're well, I have a query about birch polypore, I've read that you can dry it out then trim it down and glue it to a wooden board and use it as a strop. I was wondering if you have done this, and how efficient it is as a strop compared to a leather strop. Thank you for taking the time to make these videos; they have proved useful many times. Well, I'm glad you also enjoy and find these useful, Andy. Very, very similar questions from both of you there, Nick and Andy, using birch polypore as a strop. So, what you need is one like the one that was in the photo that's relatively decent size that's quite broad um, and that you're going to be able to take a flat section from a crossway so you've got that slightly browny gray outer dermis which you can peel away and makes very useful elastoplast um, uh, coverings for cuts that type of thing you can use them for there's lots of other uses for birch polypore as you mentioned we won't get into that now but inside it's pure white it's white as the driven snow as they say for for a fresh one when they get old they get they get sort of manky and, and and corky and dried up on the inside and that's not the condition you want you want it where it's pure white on the inside and what you want is a nice flat slice of that so you will want to take a sharp knife perhaps and try and and probably better to do it in a workshop than in the field or at least on a kitchen bench or kitchen table where you've got a solid surface to work on and you want to take a as flat a slice as you possibly can you can leave it a bit thick to start off with but you want it as flat as possible on one side and of a minimum thickness of say at least um five mil i would say um don't go any thinner than that because it becomes a little bit uh, fragile um, i would say about five mil minimum thickness um which would be about a quarter of an inch say um let me just make sure i've got that right an in, in, in inch is about two centimeters for an inch one centimeter for half an inch five mil yeah so about quarter of an inch thickness um for those of you that are working in imperial and then yes stick it onto a board so you've got one solid side and then hopefully you've cut the other side relatively flat what you don't want is something really wavy because you need to get that side as flat as as possible and again you need a really sharp tool to do that um, slightly ironic given that you're <laughs> you're using it to strop uh, something to get it sharp but you're basically making something that looks like a paddle strop so you might want to do that as a little carving project first to carve a little paddle like a lo- elongated quite thin chopping board if you like with a little bit a little bit of a handle and then you can st- stick you can glue this strip and again so the bigger the polypore that you can take a flat section out of a crossways the longer strip you're going to get and then you can glue that onto the the board and then if there are any undulations on the top then you need to carefully remove those to get it as flat as possible it is quite soft and um, at least it's malleable in, in and it will squeeze and it will um, comply to the the shape of the, of the knife um, so you know a, a few up and downy bits not the end of the world but get it as flat as you can and then you can strop on that just as you would on a paddle strop that has um, leather on it. And it works very well. Um, You can see why it gets its alternative name of razor strop fungus, because they did use to make that type of strop for cutthroat razors at the old fashioned barbers, and they'd use them to to strop um, amongst um, other things. Of course, they'd use leather as well, but it is something that was traditionally used and it does work well. It just takes a little bit of preparation. And do be careful of your fingers when you're cutting it. It is quite tough. Even though it's not a super tough material, um, you can break it, cutting it. It cutting it straight is a bit fiddly, and you'll end up needing to put a reasonable amount of pressure on. So do think about where your hands are when you're cutting through it. It's another reason I think you should do it at home on a bench where you can do it in controlled circumstances. But have a go. Um, you might mess it up um, with the first one, um, but find another one and have another go. There, there are quite a, a frequently spotted uh, fungus. Birch trees are common birch trees in a state of decay are quite common they're a short-lived tree birch polypores are common fungus so you are likely to find it um it's not a massive rarity so uh if you fluff one up you'll find some more and, and have another go and you'll get better at it until you get a good strop and then they last for quite a long time so hopefully that helps both of you next question so, this is another question uh, from Instagram. Nice photo of a book called The Cloud Spotter's Guide uh, that um, <clears throat> SJ Outdoor Guy has posted. And uh, with a discussion of this book, he has asked uh, the Aspore Curtley question. So, he's put hashtag Aspore and that's how I found it by searching on that hashtag. <clears throat> by the way, if you're gonna use hashtag Ask Paul Kirtley, spell my name correctly. Yeah, there's a few people who contacted me saying i asked a question and yeah i did f- i found them eventually but you've not spelt my name right so that's when i can't find them <laughs> there's an e uh, e y l e y common misspelling is just doing l y yeah l e y at the end otherwise i won't find it anyway i found this one because he spelt it right and he asks hi paul After reading a couple of Tristan Gooley's books, after hearing them on your podcast, I've decided to learn more about how to read the weather and understand signs of impending changes. How important do you think this is as an outdoor skill? Should this be a more widespread ability or is it something to move on to after acquiring other more basic skills? Um, I think its importance depends on partly you um at the end of the day you learn all of these things largely because you want to Um, you follow your interests whether that's weather natural navigation tree and plant identification um, craft work um, canoeing skiing what what all these things that we do in the outdoors we we largely do by choice and uh, so yes um a lot of it is down to your personal interests and what you want to prioritise in terms of learning, and what you find intellectually stimulating, what you find interesting, what you find rewarding. But clearly there are some activities in the outdoors where the ability to understand the weather is important and there's some terrains where it's more important than others um, I would say if you're in the mountains and you're in the hills you need to have a good understanding of the local weather conditions for where you're operating where you're hiking where you're climbing so that you can see what's going on with the weather of course you can use modern technology you can use weather forecasts and all of those things but still having an understanding of what different types of clouds do, what types of weather come under certain circumstances and of course the weather can be highly changeable in the mountains and not always are the local um, factors and the local effects and the local conditions reflected in the more macro um, forecasts and so having an understanding of what's going on particularly in the mountains I think is very important and and rightly so. other times when it's important if you're out in a canoe particularly if you're out in open water um, you need to have an understanding of the wind in particular um, and what might be changing in the distance you might be uh, looking for thunderstorms. You don't want to be out in the middle of a big lake in a thunderstorm because uh, you're the highest thing on it. Um, so there are circumstances there where being able to read the weather is important. And of course, if you're on a wilderness expedition, you might not have all your electronic gadgets connected to the internet in the way that we do on a day-to-day basis or or closer to home Um, I think that will come eventually I think eventually we'll have more access to satellite uh, connectivity when we're in wilderness places and certainly in terms of data and we'll probably end up having more data with us as a certainly as an option in the next decade or two um, than we've ever had before Um, so that's something but now I think if you're on a trip out in the wilds, where maybe you have got a satellite phone with you but that's just for emergencies or touching base occasionally you're not going to be necessarily calling in every day for the weather and even if you did get a macro forecast for the area you are again micro conditions can vary local conditions can vary so having an understanding of the weather conditions in your area looking to see what's going on can be important and again if you're out in really cold places in the winter having an understanding of what's going on with the weather and in particular having an understanding of what indicates it getting colder. um, I've probably mentioned this before and I do keep meaning to write a blog on it because I do have some photos but one thing that you notice if you're say um, out living in a heated tent, and the stove's just ticking away, and there's a bit of smoke coming out the chimney. One of the things you will have noticed, I'm sure, if you're a, if you're a regular winter camper, is when it starts getting colder and you get cold air pushing down, you'll see the smoke going across and up, and then it will almost look like it's hit a glass ceiling. Um, and it'll be going then across vertically almost have a straight line delineation at the top of it where you can see that layer of cold air coming down and that's often an indicator that it's going to get a lot colder and you often see that towards the end of the day as as it starts to get colder but equally if you see it at any other time um, it's going to be an indication that things are getting colder and so again it's what's important in that environment if you're in a really cold environment to start off with and it's getting colder you you want to know that if you're out on a big lake and the wind's getting up or there's a storm coming in you want to know that if you're in the hills and you've had good conditions but the wind's getting up rain's coming in visibility's going to go down thunderstorms again you want to be able to know that so i think being able to read the weather conditions is a valuable skill in many different aspects of being in the outdoors and then over and above that of course you've just got the 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 pleasure if you like of knowing of being familiar with what's going on you're not wandering around nature like some sort of little robin flying around and um, you're not wandering around nature like some sort of confused child that doesn't know anything about it you under you can understand all nature's signs including the weather then you feel much more comfortable and much more connected with it Um, and so it's very valuable i think from that perspective as well the more you can know about the natural world around you and how you fit in with it and how you interact with it the better good question i like that and cloud spotters guide is a nice book to read Um, trees and plants to learn another instagram question you can see i hit the instagram um, hashtag search hard um, in putting these questions together this is from hf survival school and posted a nice picture of a water-filled gorge in his part of the world And this question is, I have watched your recent video about how to get better in bushcraft quickly. A very interesting video. I think that was my bushcraft show 2017 presentation you're talking about. Um, I can link to that here um, and also link to it in the show notes at paulkirtley.co.uk. And I've noticed a few people coming to my blog and searching for show notes. Yeah, It's not something that is um, separate to... podcast if you just come to my um, blog and find the episode what i mean by the show notes are all the notes that are there with the podcast on my blog so you the player there's a podcast player there where you can listen straight off my podcast you can download the mp3 straight off my blog or you can click through to itunes stitcher etc and find it there Um, but all the links and information and also some links to related material on my site, and they could be articles, they could be videos that link into what we talk about on this uh, episode, for example, or they could be on a Paul Kirtley podcast, it could be links to other uh, interviews or discussions with that same guest, they could be links to their social media platforms, so you can say hi to them. All of those things are always under that episode on my blog it's not a separate thing somewhere else so if you just go and search on again top menu you'll find podcasts and you'll find Ask Paul all the episodes are listed there or you can just go and find search on that individual episode and you'll find all the notes there just for all of you that um, might need to know that so when I talk about show notes that's what I'm talking about Um, so I will link to that presentation that he's referring to here in the show notes. Um, He said, very interesting video. Being the first so-called bushcrafter in this country, it's quite difficult to learn much without visiting particular places and talking to local elders. I saw the demographics on maps in your video where you showed what plant grows where. Can you please help me out and put me on a path tell me what plants and trees i should learn first and what uses do they have knowing what is available in my area what are the main species i need to know and practice on also what skills are the most important to work on i'm interested in general bushcraft and well camping my lifelong dream is to be on a level where i'll be able to live in the woods for at least a month uh and yeah so that that's the the question is covered there so um that's a big question and it's not one that I'm going to have a complete answer to in this uh, session Um, there's a lot of learning you want there it sounds to me like you're being a little bit impatient um you're calling yourself a survival school and I'm being blunt here you if you don't know your basic tree and plant identification and what the uses are where you are um you need to learn that first before teaching other people um but um That's a good goal to have. A lot of people are interested in knives and fire and don't really go beyond that. Um, For me, as I've said before, but I'll keep banging this drum because eventually it will go in. um, Bushcraft is a practical study of nature and natural resources that we can use. Yep and then you can overlay ethics onto that, how you use them responsibly um, in a way that conserves the resources, all of those things. But fundamentally it is not a glass window between us and nature, we are studying it and we are studying how to use it in a practical fashion. How do we make fire? How do we find food? How do we make cordage? How do we find our way using natural signs? All of those things require an interaction with the environment and I think one of the core things is tree and plant identification um, so you know best what's in your area um, and you know best what's in your area because you can go out and see it yep. i can come here um, i'm in the northeast of england um, near to where i spent all of my teenage years growing up and i'm very familiar with the trees and the plants that appear here um, and that then leads you on via curiosity to ask the question What's this tree? What's this tree here with the spines on it and the red berries? What's this tree with the flaky bark and the fat green buds? What's this tree here with the funny alien looking buds on it and the straight secondary growth on it? What's this tree over here with the evergreen shiny green leaves on it? Um, you start looking at what's there what are the common species where you are work out what they are Um, a lot of them will have uses and then you can cross-reference and find out what the uses are and then you can apply the skills so like i know this here is a sycamore yeah and i know that the dead wood if if there are any dead branches on it are good for friction fire lighting it's also really nice the green wood you can carve spoons with it they end up being pretty tough but lightweight it's a nice carving wood um, doesn't split off the grain like um, birch does um, we've got hawthorn here with edible berries spines that can be used for fish hooks pretty good small sticks for kindling although it's quite spiky you've got bracken here which is a good tinder material so I've got my friction fire lighting wood here with my Uh, with my sycamore I've got some small sticks dry sticks there that I can start to use and I can see and there's some more over there and there's some honeysuckle over there as well which has a has a bark which will come off and I can buff up into a nice tinder bundle and I can probably use that in conjunction with some bracken dry bracken around the outside so I've got Everything here, literally within spitting distance of where I'm sat that I can light a fire with. I, there's loads of things I can make a bow with here. I've got cordage I've got I've got a bootlace I've got cordage in my in my um, in my uh, pack there I've got a knife and a saw and so i can go get the materials i could make a fire by friction with bow drill here just within with the materials that i've got within 10 meters of where i'm sitting but that's because i know what these species are i've looked at them i've worked out what they are and then i've also looked at bushcraft from the other perspective of what do i need to be able to do What are the important skills to have? I need to be able to light fire, I need to have protection from the environment, part of that's fire, part of it's shelter building, part of it's an understanding of my clothing, Um, I need to be able to find water, I need to make it safe, I need to be able to find food eventually, and then you've got all the craft things as well in terms of making cordage, in terms of making uh, implements, in terms of making camp craft gadgets for suspending pots, all of those things are basics yeah basic 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 stuff then you've got natural navigation um, you've got many different aspects we talked about whether there's lots of different aspects you can go down but in terms of the tree and plant identification what's in your area and what do you want to be able to do and then cross-reference those there isn't really any single resource that does that for you as i say the cue for you should be what's in my area um, and then also you know those common things that we all need to be able to do and there will be something where you are in um, central uh, to eastern europe um, that terrain there's loads and loads and loads there's a big crossover with where we are in britain there's a big crossover with some of the things that are further east of you there's lots and lots of resources there um, if you want some formal instruction in tree and plant identification i do have an online tree and plant identification masterclass, which opens at the beginning of every year um, you can go poorkirtley.co.uk forward slash treeplantid and you will find a page where you can pop your email address in and I'll send you more information about that. Um, even if you are on my normal email list for my blog, I won't send you all the information. It's a little bit like that mail that you get in your mailbox for something that you don't want. Yeah, if it's something you want, ask for it, go to the page, leave me your email. It's a separate email distribution. I will send you the information about that online course. Um, If you're on my my blog mail, I might occasionally send out an email to say it's opening again soon if you're interested go and put your email but I'm not going to send detailed information to the thousands and thousands of people that are on my blog distribution because they might not be interested in tree and plant ID they might be interested in clouds they might be interested in hunting They might be interested in canoeing they might be interested in winter camping and so I try and send information that's relevant so if you're interested in the tree and plant ID you specifically need to go and ask for that and you can do that by going to paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash tree plant id okay and that will redirect you to where you can put your email in all right so that's for you and it's also for anybody else um in terms of basic bushcraft skills there's lots and lots of stuff on my uh blog for a, for a syllabus just go to go to my company frontierbushcraft.com find the elementary wilderness bushcraft course look at the syllabus of that course use that as a as a guideline for um for what to learn first in terms of skills and then also look at what trees and plants you've got in your locality and put the two together favorite wild edibles this is from wellsby roots dave wellsby is back wellsby's back in the house his question is hey brother was wondering what your favorite wild edibles are why and how you prepare them thanks for everything you do um favorite wild edibles well that's that's an interesting one well okay depends how we're defining favorite but Cattails, some people don't like the taste of cattails. I quite like the taste of cattail rhizomes, the ropey roots that you get growing in the silt and under water. Roast them on the fire. Um, they've got a pretty good flavor compared to a lot of wild foods. The energy you get from them, they make you feel good and they don't taste that bad. Um, tastes somewhere between uh, a roasted chestnut and a potato um, and they're pretty good. And so I quite like those, simple to collect. Uh, although you generally need to get wet and at this time of year you're going to get cold um so think about you having a fire first uh, if you're actually out properly foraging for them like that um, and living out in the woods but it's, it's good energy uh, good carbohydrate a lot of return for your investment so that's kind of a favorite from that perspective i also really like burdock um arctium lapper in the thistle family in the asteraceae That has an edible taproot that looks a little bit like a parsnip. Um, That's a good, solid underground storage organ. That's a good, solid root vegetable. It's tasty. Um, It's not great boiled. um, But what's really good is you cut it into little batons. um, So cut it into sections that are maybe a couple of inches long and then cut it crossways, like you make batons out of carrots or parsnips, and then shallow fry them really really good and again it it, yes you need a little bit of oil but otherwise it's just something that's come straight out the ground straight out of the wild and it's really super tasty and it's a good solid accompaniment to other foods it's not a wild food you know there's a lot of wild food instruction and foraging instruction which goes on which is all about greens and tastes and flavors and that's fine i've got nothing against flavors i'm a big fan of varied flavors but there's no calories there in a lot of wild food foraging instruction it all looks nice it tastes nice but If we're really interested in living from the land bushcraft and survival in the proper sense of the word not just making a tasty salad we need to know where we can get the calories so those two are really good for getting some carbohydrate calories in and i don't subscribe to this thing that carbs are bad either if you are out working traveling moving chopping wood building shelters checking traps whatever you're doing you need the energy you need the carbohydrate energy your brain needs the carbohydrate energy and um, to think straight and make good decisions you need to be able to get that type of food from the wilds and they both taste pretty good so their favorites top of my list both in terms of utility if you like but also I think the flavor's pretty good I, I've mentioned chestnuts already I think it's hard to beat um, if you take a, a sweet chestnut whether it's a, a European sweet chestnut or an American sweet chestnut and roast that on the fire, in the fire, however you do it, on a, on a, on a griddle, um, it's hard to beat the taste of a, of a roast chestnut. And again, it's not processed, you're not doing anything to it other than heating it. Great flavour, good energy, um, good nutrition, that's a favourite. Um, wild mints, I like wild mints for uh, flavouring and I like them for a tea, for a nice um, mint tea. Uh, what else do I particularly like? Berries of course, there's some great berries out there, everything from the ubiquitous uh, blackberry um, through to blayberries or blueberries, I'm a big fan of those ericaceae berries, I like the lingon berries or, or, the, or the cowberries as they're known in uh, to, to make a cordial, um, they're, they're good, um, I like an elderberry cordial, homemade elderberry cordial is good. Um, I like a lot of the berry fruit flavors and again good nutrition antioxidants um, sugars um, lots of micronutrients there as well um, so yeah I, I like those a lot and then um, things like um, fat hen one of the um, one of the leaves good flavor there and um, the goose foots in general nice flavors in there some of the brass uh, the mustards the wild mustards and cresses got some good flavors there I, I like those a lot as well like wood bitter cress um lady smock, cardamine pretensis um, nice hot mustardy flavor in the leaves and i'm just kind of off the top of my head here but they're they're what they're ones that spring to mind that i really look forward to finding i really like the flavors from and uh yeah that that's probably a good enough list for now i'll probably think of more after i finish recording but they're all firm favorites definitely last question running repairs on axe and i apologize to you john for taking so long to answer this I've for some reason missed the question at the time I think I possibly just saw the photograph there were a lot of photographs from the bushcraft show posted at the time of me of Dave Canterbury of other people of of, of things that people had been to our display on the frontier bushcraft stall Um, my uh live ask paul kirtley that i did on the stage and I, I i just didn't register there was a question attached to this apologies john um but the question here is uh thank you paul kirtley for the great axe safety display today at the bushcraft show 2017 so this is from late may this is from six months ago apologies john um i have an ask paul kirtley i'd like to ask on the back of it if i may um what would you recommend as a way of performing running repairs if your axe head becomes loose while out in the wilderness? Thanks for all your great content. You're a fantastic help to all who listen and I for one appreciate it greatly. Um, well thank you John. Hopefully you're not uh, uh, you haven't been turned off by my apparent ig- ignoring of your question. Um, I hope, hopefully you're still listening um, and appreciating what I'm putting out. Right axe heads. I talked about axes a little while ago. It wasn't the same question, but it was a similar question. And the question was along the lines of what would you do if you needed to replace the handle of your axe out in the field? And my answer to that was along the lines of you shouldn't need to generally with a modern axe that's got a hickory handle because I've never seen one break and so okay and I, I'm not the be all and end all I'm not uh, omnipresent I don't see everything that goes on but I've taught a lot of people to use axes I've seen a lot of people using axes I've used axes a lot on uh, summer trips and in particular winter camping trips and they've had hard use I've used them for felling trees for limbing sectioning trees uh, for splitting um, and I've never seen something like a Grand Falls Brook handle break i've had them that have been a bit subpar when they've arrived like it looks like there's a bit of a crack in them and i've either replaced the whole axe sent it back and got another one or i've replaced the handle um but i've not had a good handle that's been inspected you know you, you do you should check your axe you know, when you come back from a trip check it's good check there isn't a split check the the head's not loose and clearly you know that should be something that you check as you go along as well the head's not loose but if there's anything wrong with it then do do the repairs do the maintenance at home um in your workshop in your shed in your living room wherever you do these things and make sure it's in good condition as as it can be before you go out again and again you know you don't just buy an axe and do nothing to it. You're gonna maintain it, you're gonna sharpen it, you're gonna oil the head, you're gonna maybe refinish the handle, you're at least gonna occasionally put some linseed oil or, or similar onto the handle just to, to help protect the wood. And so while you're doing those things, you can be inspecting it quite closely and checking to see if it's okay. And when you come back from a trip, before you, know, you might wanna clean it up, sharpen it, oil it, um, give it a clean, um, put some more oil on it out on the handle Check, look for any signs of cracks, any signs of looseness, any signs of movement in the head, any signs of that type of thing. And I think you're going to catch any issues then. So um, with hickory handles, you're highly unlikely, if it's in good condition before you go out for a two-week canoe trip or a two-week winter camping trip, you're highly unlikely to break it um so that's that, that's that, that's just a recap of my thinking with a handle and so equally when you're looking at the at the, the the axe if there's any looseness or sign of movement in the head deal with that at home before you head out now if you're in the field of course that the head might become loose now my experience is that the thing that again with well-made modern axes um even if they're made in the traditional sense of wooden handle And a metal head um, with no kind of paint on or fiberglass or any of that sort of plastic coverings it's just a metal hand forged head wooden handle that we all like to use in in bushcraft and traditional camping these days Um, and a lot of the manufacturers are Scandinavian there's a number of them Gransfors, Vetterlings, Hultefors all those axes. Um, It's fairly easy to see if the heads moving and that's why I kind of talked about plastic coverings and paints and things, with those things it's harder to see if things are moving. Um, but if, 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 if where the head has been for some time becomes open to the air, there will be a difference in colour in, in the wood and you can see that the axe is starting to, to move, the axe head starting to move. Now in my experience, as I was about to say, the thing that causes axe heads t- t- to become loose typically is misuse of the axe. And people using an axe on other axes on splitting wedges when the axe isn't tempered to be hitting onto metal, hitting heavy um, metal implements, hammering metal posts, metal stakes, big tent tent poles, uh, tent pegs—the metal ones that you use for staking out marquees and big tents—those type of things are what damage your axe. Um, hitting rock. Um, possibly, I've not seen that, but I guess in theory that could happen, hitting something that's too hard to hit with the axe. Now the bit of the axe is tempered to be quite durable, the head as a whole is relatively soft, and if you hit other bits of metal with it, you'll get mushrooming on the top of the pole, um, on the back of the axe, it will start to fold over, it's relatively soft, and what can happen is the eye of the head, which is the bit that the, the handle goes through, can become distorted, and the, if the shape of that eye changes, then that can change the area of contact between the head and the handle and the, and the head can become loose. So you, for that reason, you do not want to be hitting um, your general purpose bushcraft axe, your Scandinavian forest axe, your small forest axe or whatever, whatever it's called onto other axes for splitting logs splitting wedges that type of thing you need to use a specialist you either need to use a hammer a lump hammer for that type of thing or you want to be using a specialist uh, splitting wall that has a hammer head on the back of it on the pole where it's tempered correctly so it doesn't damage the axe that you're using and some of the specialist splitting walls have that and that's what you should be using on metal where particularly where you're splitting that's where most people damage their axe head if they're going to misuse and i've seen plenty in cabins as i've been traveling around the world you go into the woodshed people have been smacking two axes together and they're in really bad shape that the the head is loose so as long as you don't do that um, it's unlikely getting the thing wet is more likely to cause the uh the wood to swell Um, and therefore make it tighter so that wouldn't cause it to come to come off and if you do have a little bit of looseness the old trick um, it's not a long-term solution but the old trick was to soak put the axe in some water so that the wood would swell and that would hold the head on a little bit better and that can be a short-term remedy but it's not one that I would I'd recommend now if you look at the end of an axe and this is the the end of the question here end of the answer to the question if you look at the end of the axe as I said you've got the eye where the handle comes through the head and then you've got uh, the handle or the helve whichever word you want to use and there's normally a split in that and in that excuse me in that split is driven a wedge and if the worst comes to the word worse if there's nothing wrong with a handle but the but the head is 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 loose uh, if it's so loose that it's going to come off then take it off knock out push out the wedge sideways the old wedge it's harder with some of them because they've got that metal staple in in the modern axes but that should help keep the thing on in the first place because what can make the axe a bit loose is if it's just got a wedge if the wedge starts moving the wedge comes out a bit then that splaying of the handle comes in a bit and then the head can start moving so the harder it is to get the wedge to move the less likely you're going to need to do this anyway but um if you can get the wedge out or get the head off and then get the wedge out make another wedge and knock it back in um that would be a a, another remedy that's that's easier said than done that process that i've just talked about um which is why re-handling axes sometimes requires you to saw the uh the helve below the head some people even burn them off um but there are issues with tempering and things potentially there um but yeah Generally you're not going to need to do it, old old, quick fix was to soak it in a, in a bucket of water um, but equally if the issue is the, is the wedge coming loose there are things you can do about that. If you've got a knife you can find some hardwood, you can make another wedge, you can knock it in, you can you can do that as long as the handle is fine and as I say with the modern hickory handles you're highly unlikely to, to break the handle. That's just a realist, realist view of what are you likely to to have to be able to do um while you're out and about and that brings us to the end of episode 61 and it is chilling off here Uh, the sun is starting to go a bit it's chilling off and i'm going to get a move on i can feel my feet starting to get a little bit cold which is always uh, a sign not just that your feet are cold but your whole body is cooling down your body is not sending as much warm blood to your extremities um your muscles are not pumping blood around um in, into the into the through the feet and um everything's starting to close down your body's keeping the uh the blood close to the core and that's a sign that it's not just my feet that need warming up it's me as a whole that needs warming up and i will do that by uh carrying on with my hike. So thanks for listening. Do check out the uh tree plant ID link if you are interested in my tree and plant identification masterclass, which will be open into the new year um, for a little while and then we go through the course of the year um, it closes and it doesn't open again until the end of the year the beginning of the year um, we have a new enrollment of people coming in and then we all go through the year together um, that cohort of people so if you're interested in me sending information no obligation of course um, but i will send you full information background information on why the course is structured the way it is how the course is structured what my approach is um, i'll send you all of those things if you go to paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash tree and links will be in the show notes links there on youtube and if you're listening continue with what you're doing your drive your hike your gym session whatever you're doing enjoy that and if you're watching um enjoy see you on the next video don't get stuck on youtube for too long if you're on youtube there are there are more things to do than than watch youtube all day but anyway i will get on i'm rambling um, i'll have another hot cup of coffee and get on my way with the rest of my walk take care thanks for listening and i will hope to see you on another ask paul kirtley before too long and um, it's been too long since the last one um, part of the part of what i've been working on are some online projects Um, and also working on putting together some trips for next year. blood vein trip um, coming up again next year and uh, various other things that are new. New programs at Frontier Bushcraft. Of course, I'm not here to sell things. I'm just here to make things available to people. You know about Frontier Bushcraft. If you're interested in any of the courses, any of the trips, you can go to frontierbushcraft.com and find them there. If you've got any questions, drop me an email um, or a tweet tweet's quite good for questions um, if you want a, an immediate answer as opposed to an ask Paul Kirtley. anyway that's it yeah a few calls to action there at the end and a few offerings and I will see you again soon lots going on take care cheers